Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we're going to do part one of this week's two-part week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Got the IndyCar Harvest Grand Prix coming up. It's going to say this weekend, but it kind of straddles this weekend. The original event aimed for this weekend, the Intercontinental GT eight-hour sports car endurance race. Well, we've had to pack in an IndyCar doubleheader. So we're going to get practicing on Thursday. Going to have race one on Friday and race two on Saturday. So it's not kind of only a weekend IndyCar thing, but yeah, things are going to get loud and busy at the Speedway on Thursday. Going to say thank you as always for our show and you, the great listener-driven Q&A that we have. And boy, we got a lot from Oliver Askew, to our young man, our fine young friend, Zach Veach, to all kinds of stuff broken into two parts. Brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. So there's a lot going on right now. Wrote about it towards the end of last week on Racer.com. We don't normally have a lot of seat swapping going on over the last couple races of the year, but indeed that is what we have Going to use most of the insights on that using your questions, frankly, to drive that conversation as we normally do. So going to keep the intro short. Only thing I'll mention is for our weekend sports car show, had someone send in a question asking when I'm going to start a Twitter account for our cats, Rocky and Rosie, who always interrupt the podcast. And I've got Rocky to the left. I've got Rosie to the right. And this morning, <laughs> this is a first. While interviewing Elio Castro Neves about his recent run of success in IMSA and also joining the Aero McLaren SP team this weekend for the first time, had Rocky jump up on the desk and hit the space bar with his right front paw, which stopped the recording of the audio file, and then took his next step with his left front paw and ended the call. Stepped on my phone and ended the call. <laughs> So I think they, he in particular, but they might deserve their own Twitter feed because they just, it's constant nonsense that they bring, but hopefully it's a little bit of fun. So that's my day. Uh, cats ending calls, shutting off recordings, acting a fool in general. It's kind of the normal routine here in the good old office where we do the podcast. So let's roll in a music bed. Let's say thanks as well to our pal Jim Falkowitz who puts together our questions. We're going to kick off with a couple of Zach Veach questions. Ron Terpstra, you're asking, did Andretti actually tell Gainbridge that they're either going to move to one of the other cars or they don't want to work with them? Something we've heard. Can't tell you if that's true or not. I know that Robin put that in his uh, really nice column about Zach Veach. I know he mentioned that I wrote that in my piece, which I don't think I did, but whatever. Um, something I've heard. Can't tell you whether that's true or not. It'd be a pretty bold play, as you mentioned. You say that's pretty gutsy. No, it would be. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer on it, but yeah, that that would be a very gutsy thing. Uh, let's see. Got, what, four other questions here on Zach. Naturally, trying to open with one of the bigger topics. Uh, we're going to go to Northern Penguin 01 from Reddit. No idea what the screen name means, but hey, love you. What actually happened to Zach Veach? I doubt he willingly stepped aside for the rest of the year to help the team prepare for next season. Also says he seems like a great guy, but I don't think any racing driver, no matter how nice they are, would willingly do that. Also adds that as a Canadian, I'm very happy to see Hinch back in the car. What are his odds of being in that seat or at least that organization 
next season. Uh, reiterate some of what I wrote on Racer. Mention something which I haven't mentioned. doesn't mean anything. It just It's sharing something here, though, that I hadn't shared elsewhere. So I reached out to Zach. I don't know the exact time. might have been a month-ish ago. I think it was shortly after the Indy 500. Um, I don't recall if it would have been right after. I'm looking up at the uh, calendar here. Uh, right after the run at Gateway. But reached out to Zach and just said, Hey, brother, how you doing? What's going on? And how are you feeling about next year? And I think this is after a particularly brutal weekend at Gateway. And you know, he said, look, uh, don't really want to talk. And he said, I, I'm much more in a headspace of laying low and just not saying anything. So obviously, if you're a reporter, you're at the track, and I know we've got all kinds of guidelines of drivers not interacting directly with reporters, but you know, if Zach's at the track and someone requests an interview, it's not as if he wouldn't speak with them, but on the subject of how is your future looking, which is the very blunt thing I was asking, he said, I'm, I'm just going to politely not do that because I, this is just not a good time for me to be seen or heard of in print. And I said, all right, hey, respect that, totally respect that. That's why you didn't see a story about it at the time. Also said, where are you at? Where do you think you're at in that extension? You're, for those who don't know, finishing up a three-year contract for himself and Gainbridge in the number 26 Honda. Known all along, came into the season, did a story with him. Hey, brother, your sophomore season was rough. What are you going to do differently? And he said, hey, I just need to get back to having fun. If I have a bad weekend, I just can't let it sink in. Got to let it slide off. Just got to stay elevated at a positive place. And it didn't happen. Obviously, we can look at where the season opened Uh, And we can say for sure that things were not uh, worrisome or scary, at least to start the season, right? Had that really strong performance to open the year at Texas, right? Happy for him. Wasn't on the podium, just off the podium, finished fourth. But it was that, holy cow, all right, this is starting great the way you'd hoped. And since then, has not finished higher than 14th. Um, what, one, two, three, four, five, maybe six, five or six finishes of 20th or worse. Just bad, just a terrible year. And whatever we thought was bad for him last year, although it seemed improbable, just somehow got worse. And I mean, if you consider that he finished 15th as a rookie and showed some serious promise, 18th in his second season, which was a big surprise, a big, big surprise, but really expected that rebound this year, and he's now sitting 20th. Just mentioning some things that you can't ignore, dear Northern Penguin 01, whose screen name from Reddit I love. When you are in a performance-based business, overstating the obvious stuff here, when we're in a performance-based business, and you aren't performing, what do you do? Uh, Of course, there are folks who are going to say, wait a minute, Michael's son Marco drives for him. Uh, How can you possibly apply 
any of the same standards to Zach, which we'll get to in a minute. There's a question on that. The difference here, this is a guy who we weren't totally sure was going to come in and really be running in the top 10 like the majority of the Andretti entries do. And we hoped, well, I know he's a gritty driver, a really gritty driver, and he's got a huge heart. There, there are few, I can say, who have tried harder than Zach to be a frontline IndyCar driver since he came in. It just has not panned out. And I'm not saying that it could not turn in a better direction with another team. Just saying that in one of the big three teams, whether they've had a rough 2020 or not until they obviously had a really good weekend at Mid-Ohio, it's immaterial. All you can do is judge based on your teammates. And if Hunter Reyes run well, then you would expect, but Rossi didn't, you at least know that Hunter Ray was the peak potential for the team that weekend. Or if it's Rossi up front, or if it's Colton up front, and there's a gap to some other Andretti drivers. Again, you have at least one showing you where the team's overall potential was. And if one or more drivers within that squad aren't near that top driver, it's going to raise some questions. So we have Colton, who's, what, fourth in the standings right now, has been their best and most consistent driver in terms of results so far this year. We have Hunter Ray, who is there thereabouts. We have Rossi, who's been streaking lately, which is great. We have Marco, who had that highlight with the Pult, the 500, and not a lot more. And somewhere in there, expecting Zach to maybe be fourth on the depth chart consistently out of the five, it hasn't happened so much. And so here's where we get those. These are generalisms, but I'm just trying to paint a picture that while the money that was brought delivered a huge smile to the team, the willingness to have two out of their five cars mired towards the back of the grid at almost every round I'd say that's a little bit too much for Michael's sensibilities. And this is where Zach needed to deliver this year. I don't think he needed to win a race. I do think he needed to have a couple of top fives, uh, maybe even a podium. Something that said, I'm in it. I might have some ups and downs, but better than last year and rising strong. So I know that he had that one fourth place. There's just been nothing even close to it since then. We always do a little bit of a deeper dive to open the show, so this is why we're starting off with Zach. Not everything has been Zach's fault. Absolutely not. There have been some errors and issues had uh, on that entry this year, which he has not spoken about publicly. He's been a good soldier. But there have been too many days where it hasn't been on the team and he hasn't been able to deliver some kind of memorable performance. So since that fourth place at Texas, just read off the numbers, finishing P14, 16, 16, 23, 20, 15, 21, 22, 20, and 17. If I told you that that was a Foyt driver, 
knowing that the Foyt team is certainly trying to pick themselves up from being at the bottom of the entrance list, you wouldn't be surprised. If I told you it was a coin driver, you might actually be surprised because they have been more and more competitive this uh, this season and last and so on. To tell you that Zach is 20th in points and Marco is 13 points behind him in 21st, they're the bottom of the field in terms of full-time drivers, and one of them is not an Andretti family member, it's always going to put Zach at risk. So you take these things and you realize that while the sponsorship was very, very helpful and the hope that Zach, who'd done the almost entirety of his road to Indy career with the Andretti team, there's a long history, a lot of love and a lot of hope, but it just hasn't panned out. And again, you can point finger at fingers at both sides and they're, you know, the car is caught on fire. How many times? Not his fault. You know, yada, yada, yada. This just isn't something that worked out. And it saddens me, genuinely saddens me, because I think the world of the kid, for those of us who've had dreams or had high aspirations to do something in life, got there and did it and found out that, you know, it was too big of a task. It was too much for me. I failed. That hurts, but it happens. Not all of these things end in fairy tale uh, manner. Again, another overstatement. I can tell you the biggest failure of my career came in 2006 while running two separate factory programs at an endurance race. And I bit off way too much, did a piss poor job from management of everything managing the team managing the budget man just top to bottom i failed uh i mean seriously failed and it made me not want to do the racing thing anymore because i was so negligent that i just stung it still stings 14 years later, it just makes my whole body like lock up when I think about my failures because I know that I should have been better, could have been better, but wasn't. And I'm not drawing a parallel to Zach exactly, but I can tell you that there has to be a sense of, damn, I don't know if I was going to win a championship, but I know that my teammates sure got a lot more out of themselves and their opportunities than I did. And that hurts. Maybe you become a better driver because of this. If Zach gets another chance, maybe he becomes better. If not, maybe he finds something in IMSA. He was at the IMSA race last weekend talking with teams, and I really hope something awesome happens there for him. I ended up learning a lot about myself with this grand double (laughs) same-time failure in 2006. Uh, it ate at me and it still does, but I learned a lot from it and became so much better as a result. I can only hope that the same happens for him. Uh, you ask about Hinch's chances of being back in the car. It's a thousand percent driven by funding. You might hear me say this one or more times in some of the upcoming questions, the Andretti team of all teams in IndyCar 
needs to find more money than any other that I know of. Uh, I've heard that I won't get into all of it right now. Probably going to put that into an article first, but um, they aren't the only team, significant team, that is looking at a big overall budget uh, number to try and hit for next year with some newfound questions as to, I don't know if it either it's possible or, good Lord, how long is it going to take and how hard is it going to be? So Andretti's not on an island in that regard, but uh, they're not in a position that I know of to hire anybody. They're going to sign contracts with drivers, but at this stage, if that driver is not bringing money, uh, they are not being, <laughs> they're not writing any contracts that I know of that say, and we're going to pay uh, driver X six figures, seven figures. Uh, it all involves how many figures are you going to give us, and then we'll let you drive our car. So until they can find more sponsors to say we're all good, uh, it's going to be a case of hopefully Genesis bringing in some great money to make sure that Hinch is there full-time. And who knows what is going to end up happening with Gainbridge, whether that does move to Colton full-time next year. We'll have to see. Uh, I've heard about a combined Gainbridge and Genesis thing for Hinch. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I believe there is certainly a desire. And as I wrote on racer.com late last week, don't assume that that Zach Veach number 26 entry is the only car that is open for business. Uh, let's see, where are we going next? All right, our pal Vincent, 1701. Got two questions from you here. Uh, did I tell you guys I refer to the show as my unpolished turd? I just leave all the mistakes and nonsense and uh, whatever in, including me taking a sip from my big 32-ounce jug of liquid. Not quite beer yet. Budget isn't that healthy yet, but hopefully before the end of the year, we'll get it back in a better place and I'll be having beers again with the show. Uh, Zach says, I found it odd that Zach Veach got the boot when he brought the sponsor to the team. What does it say about Gainbridge uh, and their stance with Veach, IndyCar, and Michael Andretti? Hmm. Well, as I wrote, we have a situation where the team decided the party needed to stop early and could they have continued? Yes. For the last three races with Zach, there is a underlying concern that at Zach's recent form, they might've missed out on a leader circle contract, roughly $1 million for next season. If they don't make the top 22 uh, in entrant points, and that's a big number, right? You absolutely want to have that. There's going to be one team that misses out on that. They just certainly don't want him to be it. So you can see there being some rationale there. Would say there's some other rationale here involved in showing Gainbridge that, you know what, uh, with a better, more proven driver representing you, we can indeed deliver better results. So we're asking you, saying, hey, please stay with us. Let's sign a new deal. For all I know, it is already signed. And maybe they're just, this is part of that deal of saying, okay, well, we want to at least have some positive stuff to show uh, to close the year. But there is a business that goes beneath all this, obviously. And while the amazing story of Zach Veach and his pastor asking his pastor, does he know anybody that might want to help him being turned on to Mr. Towers, the CEO of 
Group 1001, the Gainbridge Insurance folks, and all of a sudden we've got a three-year rumored $20 million deal. It's incredible. Like, we'll be telling that story forever. And there's a very personal level to it. There's faith involved, of course, with this whole uh, church-based conduit between Zach as pastor and Dan's pastor as well. It's amazing. Also have to keep in mind that this is a company that has expectations. And if Gainbridge is spending money on something for promotional value, even if it's the CEO who loves racing and made all of it happen, there's absolutely people that can apply pressure to CEOs to say, hey, uh, this thing, is it us or is it you? Is this your passion project? Or is this us as a company actually doing this for the sake of marketing and promotions and business-to-business developments and... If it's the latter, then, hey, we want to see our car on the television. We want to see positive stuff surrounding it. Care who drives it, just this is a performance-based thing. Come back to that as well. It's just the foundation here. So we could be critical of Gainbridge saying, well, shouldn't they have pushed back and said, no way, not a chance, and there's no way it'll ever happen. It's, if it's not Zach, it's no one. Sure, but unless this was Mr. Towers's personal money instead of his business's money, there are some expectations to meet and folks to answer to, Vincent. So, yeah, I wouldn't put this on Gainbridge. I would say that this is one of those tough things to say. Because you all know that I love the kid. I've said I've loved the kid. He's been on the show countless times. And I obviously want nothing but success for his future. This entire scenario did not have to happen. This entire scenario would have never happened if the results were stronger. And you can point to this fault of the team and that fault of the team. And they did this at this race and that right. You know, there's always that stuff. Even in a championship winning season, a driver is going to be able to say, the team screwed me here or there, I, but also I made some mistakes here or there. It, even at the champions level, this stuff happens. It makes it hard to say, well, Zach was just screwed by the team. In two and three quarter years of IndyCar racing, Zach had opportunities to make sure that this never happened. And that's the sad and frustrating part because it did and that doesn't mean I don't believe in him and don't believe that he could have a better result, but three-ish years, zero podiums, uh, no top fives last year, I believe seventh or so was about his best finish, Um, had, I think, two top fives his first year. That's where a lot of the promise came in. But to have zero top fives, top sixes, in his second year to open the year with a fine fourth, which is great bit of a crazy race at Texas, but you know, Hey, he had an opportunity to finish fourth and did, and then to have everything else just go drastically downhill, whether it was his fault or the team's fault on whatever day it might've been. All it takes is a couple of podiums, a couple of this is a couple of that's, Uh, being 15th in the championship, heck, being 14th, 13th in the championship, I'm guessing 
would have drastically altered the conversation. Right now, what, Marcus Erickson is 13th? Jack Harvey at Meyershank Racing is 14th? Renus VK is 15th? Keep in mind, I'm just sharing reality here. Zach is currently behind all of the full-time rookies in the field. And no disrespect to the teams that those rookies drive for, but they aren't members of the big three. Um, so this didn't have to happen, and I hate that it did, but I can't blame Gainbridge for this. Can't really blame Michael Andretti as well, knowing their financial situation. Um, you got a second question here, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up a little bit more what I was going to add there. Uh, Vincent also says, okay, using your logic, I think from last week I mentioned this, on Marco Andretti being uh, a C-grade student while his potential doesn't always show it, uh, using this logic, why did Veach get the boot? Well, back to the point of, A, that's Michael's son. Uh, B, Marco is co-owner of the car that he drives. I don't know what percentage, but he is in his own car. Uh, so if we're talking about getting boots a little bit hard to do that it it also gives the co-owner slash driver the luxury of performing however well or however poorly without that question being asked it's kind of like someone who does a poor job keeping up their house lawns overgrown busted down cars i mean it's just a travesty on the block you can yell at them but ultimately they own the joint and if that poor look and the terrible outcome that you see in front of you is what they choose as a person who owns the property. They can have an eyesore of a record of being a homeowner and it's not a lot to do with it. I would just say that Marco, we hope would be front running guy that would be a true C student in terms of results, not just potential, but even if he isn't, Hard to kick a guy out from something that he owns, even if those results are an eyesore. Uh, Zach, non-family, whose sponsor I think was what was coveted most. When you don't perform, man, uh, there's not a lot of strings and ties complicating the matter. Um, let's go back to the one final point, which we need to cover off, and that is, well, hey, with three races to go, are you kidding I think this is just the team trying to prove, trying to show that, you know what, we can do better for you. We can make sure that any of those at Group 1001 and Gainbridge who have questions as to whether we can get the job done, that we can. I don't know if anyone expects Hinch to go out and win one of the the final three races, but I know for sure that he will be able to run well. Uh, there's a very strong young engineer by the name of Mark Bryant on the number 26 entry. Don't believe Hinch. I'm sure he knows his name, but has never worked with him. So this is one of the reasons why it's hard to exactly say we expect him to go out and crush the field right away. He's got to know and meet and work with and, and you know, really get to know a new race engineer. Uh, but all those things still add up to a let us show you how this could really be. And maybe that settles things even more. So 
it's a tough thing. Keep in mind that while it didn't happen during the season, that Sebastian Bourdais got the boot despite having a year left in his contract for, I know the coin said it was because they fell out of a certain place contractually that did not give them free motors. I just think they, I just think Dale didn't want to work with Sebastian anymore. And that was a convenient excuse. Uh, I don't mean excuse as in uh, false. I just mean, I think he just had enough and didn't want to be part of the Sebastian Bourdais uh, game anymore. And this was the convenient way to bring an end to that. Uh, we have Hinch, who was booted from Aero SPM at the end of last year, despite all beliefs that everything was going forward. And it was driven by that ESPN, the body thing, a uh, whole bunch of silliness there. But regardless, you know, this, oh, what? Huh? I thought everything was golden and, um, you know, absolutely rock solid. We've had we've had those beliefs uh, ended in unflattering ways uh, within the last year. And here we are with Zach with the team saying, you know what, Uh, this ride's coming to an end. Uh, Why don't we just pay you to not be in the car? And since this is not something that we are going to re-up with you, uh, we just don't want you to be in the car and, Let's just come to a financial agreement. So that's what I wrote about. Uh, I have not heard anyone tell me any differently. And these are the way things tend to work out when a team wants its driver to go away. Uh, just sad. Just really, really sad. So Daniel Summersgill, our fine pal Daniel Summersgill, asks, what do you see Zach Veach doing now that he's been removed from Andretti Autosport? Does he have a future in IndyCar? Does it lie elsewhere? Sporty cars, NASCAR? So one little thing, a minor-ish footnote. By fortune, I got a chance to do a little video with Zach. I think it was 2014, 15, I don't know, 16. He did a little bit of IMSA racing in the LMPC class. And so he's not a total stranger to IMSA. It's a place where, yeah, uh, I think with how things have gone down, I would say teams would look at him and say, okay, maybe you're not a future IndyCar champ, but... You still have plenty of talent, and here in a prototype or a GT car, uh, there's every reason to believe that you could be highly effective and do really good things with us. So I don't have intel on the teams that he spoke with and where those negotiations are at, but I did just hear in a very uh, positive note that there were some very positive conversations had last weekend and some real interest expressed so i would put this in the uh let's check back here hopefully sometime soon and who knows there's still uh what three or four imsa races to be run this year could i see a team frankly doing a reverse andretti or mirror andretti i don't know what you would call it not necessarily booting someone out to uh give zach a try but uh maybe if they had a vacancy to Give him a run in the last race or two or however many uh, with a, uh, a goal of if it works well, then we're just getting a head start on 2021. So, yeah, I would say sports cars, period. I don't foresee the NASCAR thing happening because I've never heard uh, any real interest expressed from him 
on that series. We're going to go to Gary Wood transitioning to how likely will James Hinchcliffe's three races this year lead to a full season ride in 2021. I did note in the press release about this, <laughs> just trying to be you know honest and stuff, that the team mentioned wanting to put Hinch in the car as part of an evaluation for next year. Uh, how many races did I forget the number? I, I counted, but you know he's done sixty-five races, whatever the number is. Um, he's done many races for Andretti Autosport when he was a full timer for uh, what three years or so. And then now coming back here um, for some races this year, I would say any suggestion that Hinch is there as part of an evaluation is a little bit silly. They know James inside and out. They There's no doubt about his driving skill, what he brings to a team. Just one of the most well-known quantities in IndyCar. So I would say... There's no real question here, Gary, as to, oh, we've evaluated James, James Hinchcliffe. He's actually okay at driving a car. Like, we're well past that. Uh, what, five-time, seven-time race winner, whatever it is. Um, we, we know he's good. Question is going to be, ding, 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 money, money, money. So, yeah, if Genesis can step up, full ride, if Genesis can step up, Partial season, and who knows, Gainbridge for some, I don't know. Uh, I can tell you that I believe the team is always going to be better with James than without James. And he brings something to the team that delivers so heavily off track and on track that for a team like this that has many sponsors, many B2B deals, is always benefiting from a driver like James who can do good things on the track and make sponsors super extra happy off track. I would just say it's a perfect fit in terms of needs from the driver and the team in question going forward. There might be other times where they don't need someone with as much brightness and warmth and multiple talents as Hinch. Right now, yeah, they need all the hinch they can get in hashtag me personally, my opinion. Uh, I hope that that happens. I also hope that it doesn't happen at the expense of a Ryan Hunter Ray or who knows. Let's go to Lance Snyder, our Minister of Mirth. Thanks again for that paint job that you had done virtual iRacing paint job that you had done Lance uh, of a LMP2 car for those who haven't seen it wearing the livery of the very first junior open wheel car I worked on uh, it's a 1984 Anson SA4 Super V uh, I first worked on it in 1986 and yeah he had someone do up that livery on an LMP2 car for uh, his iRacing joy so Seriously, dude, like that's the craziest thing. Uh, and, and it is not lost on me how amazing that gesture is. He says, Marshall, has there been any movement on IndyCar's race for a quality and change program? He says, NASCAR at five to six times the cost of an IndyCar program as a black team owner and driver starting next year asks, has Willie T been hired to lead the effort in IndyCar yet? If he hasn't, why not? 
Oh, there's a bunch of stuff in here, Lance, and even something else I forgot. So it is 3.56 p.m. on Tuesday, September 29th. There's a press conference tomorrow coming out from IMS. I think we might get next season's schedule. Also think that we're going to hear NASCAR news at the Brickyard, hear about some doubleheaders, continuation of doubleheaders between NASCAR and IndyCar heard that there could be an interesting one that isn't uh, necessarily ims based happening so um yeah so that's coming just on the have we heard anything topic yeah so race for equality and change bud denker who is the president of the penske corporation that means he is a very influential man within roger penske's world more or less his right hand person I know obviously Roger has son Greg and, you know, there's some family involvement, but uh, Bud's Bud's been his conciliary, if you want to call him that, a man who gets things done and leads big initiatives on his behalf. Uh, Bud has been a, a primary player here on the race for equality and change. I have been told by Bud with no specific date in mind that somewhere maybe around now towards the end of the month, uh, beginning of next, that we should hear more. Um, I've heard that from Bud once or twice about this specific program and had nothing come out. So, you know, I can't speak to that. I can only tell you what I have been told to expect. So even if the timing hasn't worked out in previous mentions that something's coming, hoping something will. On the topic of teams and this, that, and the other, uh, I've heard one thing. I'm not going to get into it, uh, but I've heard that there's an interesting thing possibly afoot. Could be the thing Bud's talking about uh, mentioning. uh, Related on the team side, not IndyCar level, though. Uh, Funnily enough, uh, yes, Willie T has been called many times by Roger to be a part of this, to be involved I know that Willie T's very critical words and my very critical words uh, a couple days after the program was announced with he and I noting that there was essentially nothing behind this. Uh, It was all just a lot of words with no action put in behind it. I know that those have led to pretty solid blacklist of me by a few people um, atop IndyCar. It's perfectly fine. It's not totally abnormal. Um, I don't think that's, I think it's happened a little bit with Willie. I think they're a little bit afraid of Willie because Willie is just his own man and doesn't need them or their money. And so he is going to tell his truth at all times, whether it's, you believe it's accurate or not. I don't know if that's something they want to opt into. So I can tell you that I would hope that they would engage Willie, but in terms of formal engagement, He's going to do this and that. He's going to be a part of this. He's been appointed for this thing. He's been hired as a consultant uh, for whatever. I have not heard of any of that happening. And that's of as of the last conversation he had, he and I had middle to late last week. I've heard of something else that Willie could be involved in, which if it comes to fruition, this it would be it'd be so crazy, so so crazy. Um, I can't say anything more than that. This is just one of those things. I apologize. I know it's my podcast, and I try and tell you everything that I I want to tell you everything. I can't always. I still have 
things have been sworn to secrecy on. That's just part of being a reporter. But yeah, um, I don't. I think there's going to be a little bit of movement here on the race for equality and change. I think the off season is where I would put my expectations, Lance, in terms of big yardage gained. Just this has been a bear of a year for Penske Entertainment. Uh, this has been it's for everybody. I'm not singling them out, but this has been a tough year. Uh, this has been a far tougher year than they expected in their first year of ownership. Um, knowing what I would say the critical priorities happen to be, getting calendar set, getting manufacturers signed, engine manufacturers signed, getting future regulations confirmed for what year they're going to start, what it's going to be engine-wise, engine internal combustion engine plus the kinetic energy unit, which would make it a hybrid to start in 22. Would it be combustion only? Chassis, like there's a lot of things that you could say in terms of the main show and giving team owners and manufacturers a chance to plan and budget for the future. I can understand why those things, getting the schedule done, seeking whatever TV improvements they might have, all kinds of things would be placed in front of, well, what about the fourth of the six bullet points for race to for equality and change? Where are we at on that? It's kind of the Sophie's Choice thing, right? Which thing do you let kind of sort of die while you focus on the others? Not saying that anything's being dropped, but I can say I do understand why a brand new program, which could have been started any year but wasn't started until mid this year, has been put into a place of, all right, 2020 has been brutal. We need to get some of the key elements done that's going to dictate 21 and 2022 and 23. This big roadmap for the existing series once we get these things in place, it's going to make it a lot easier for us to say, cool, our divided, our, our attention is almost undivided. Now we can lock in on some really big stuff with race for equality and change. Uh, so I don't know if that sounds like I'm making excuses for them. I know that I'm not trying to and don't believe I am. I, you know, is this something that if, you can do four or five things at once. Can't you do a sixth? And shouldn't this be getting taken care of to the same degree of importance as others? Can't argue. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have to start it, but they did. Um, and they started it while things were already tough, if not very tough. So you know, there's you can definitely push back uh, plenty of ways, Lance, and say, no, Pruitt, you're totally wrong. There should be no waiting on it. If they're going to do it, they should do it and make it equally as important as everything else. Um, I'm just looking at the output and hopefully we'll start to get more answers about it soon. And maybe I'll be able to tell you a little bit more about what I know here soon as well. Let's go to Jamine Tuttle says with last year's unexpected, insane, silly season. And this one already warmed up any unexpected or surprising things you were hearing rumblings about regarding drivers or tracks for 2021. Spoke with a friend today who just added to something I've heard from one or two others that there's a belief that IndyCar might uh, be on the Daytona road course next year. So 
Again, once the schedule comes out, we'll find out. So that would be really interesting if that happens. I can only hope I have not checked in, so it's my ignorance here, Jameen. I can only hope that Richmond, which was supposed to happen this year, didn't as a result of COVID rescheduling, is back on for next. I don't know of any others that we haven't heard of on the track side. Um, but yeah, we'll look forward to that for sure. In terms of drivers, eh, I I can't think of anything that would be really earth-shattering on that front. Um, Robin's written about it. I alluded to it in my story before. I am preparing myself mentally that if the Andretti team does not find the budget for the number 28 Honda to continue to have Ryan Hunter Ray in it, I'm not totally sure what happens to good old Captain America because, yeah, uh, and it could be a timing thing. So we know that there are question marks for sure as to whether Oliver Askew will be back with the Aero McLaren SP team. Uh, I don't know if I have any questions on that in this episode. I know that I think in the part two is where Tim might have moved those. We have Elio Castroneves coming in for this weekend. It is a one-event-only contract. There is no contract in place, according to Elio, for the finale at St. Petersburg. We know that Oliver is currently sidelined from a medical standpoint, not cleared to drive by IndyCar due to lingering symptoms, concussion-like symptoms. He is seeking the advisement and uh, being under the care of a specialist based in Pittsburgh. He was referred to that specialist by a friend of mine. That friend was in need of the exact kind of specialty knowledge and care that Oliver needs. When this friend of mine mentioned this, I reached out to a couple of other friends who got me the name of this doctor. My friend went and saw the doctor. Very good things have been going on. By coincidence, my friend who I was able to refer to this doctor has now referred Oliver to that doctor. So, All those things are positive in terms of Oliver seeking the best help possible. No information as to whether he's going to be cleared to drive, uh, what, a little over or just under a month from now in St. Pete. Would hope so. Don't know if Elio is going to be back in the car or if it would be Oliver. You can always talk about breach of contract type stuff. Contract was signed saying you must provide a car for driver X at all these races know that one interview that he gave with a reporter has been extremely problematic and it leads me to question as to whether the team will decide to retain him because of that interview. Very problematic. I'm mentioning all this, having kind of sort of started with Ryan Hunter Ray. The Aero McLaren SP team is going to get a feel for all that Elio Castroneves brings this weekend. A strong result would be great for Elio across a doubleheader. I would say that as long as he is somewhere in the top 10 or top 12, I think the team is going to leave the weekend being completely enamored with him. And it's not just because he's the Energizer Bunny. It's because he has 20-plus years of top-line institutional knowledge of working with Team Penske. 
So does that mean he's going to spill all of Penske's secrets? No. What that does mean, though, is this is someone, first time the team has ever had someone from a top team, IndyCar team. I'm not talking Fernando Alonso, not talking Robert Wickens coming in from DTM and other stuff. I'm talking about a top-tier, 20-year Team Penske guy who knows all the best ways to do things, all the best methodologies, all the right ways for a team to debrief, to do every little aspect of communication, setup, pre-event planning, in-event planning, post-event planning, every single aspect of how to do the best possible job in IndyCar. This is the first time the Aaron McLaren SP team has ever had a driver like this. And while I expect Elio to be quick like a bunny, I don't know if he's going to be as fast as Pato. That'll be a wonderful thing to observe this weekend. But they are going to get someone whose book of knowledge is 10 times, 20 times thicker than theirs. So it's not disrespecting the Aero McLaren SP team. They have a ton of great people who work there, ton of great knowledge. I'm just saying from the cockpit, from the driver's side, really from the quarterback of the team standpoint, this is the first time they're getting a Tom Brady, uh, Peyton Manning type who you can go, oh, yeah, this guy is going to uplift the entire organization with not one big thing. Oh, if you change this, you're going to become a champion. But a hundred or a thousand little things. Hey, you know the way that you put this here? Why don't you put that there? Because that's going to help me reach it and the other driver, my teammate, reach it a blink of an eye faster, but that's going to help us with this, that, or the other. Hey, you know that we do this thing. Not saying it's wrong. It, it could be perfect. Can I just suggest the way that uh, I've done it within the team I worked for and the way they do it is this way. This is how teams level up using some modern terminology. Look at that. Uh, This is how teams level up. It's by bringing in that veteran mechanic, veteran race engineer, veteran manager, veteran marketing person, whatever. This is how teams level up by bringing in super experienced, super proven championship caliber folks to instill that championship level knowledge and infuse that within a team that is lacking it in some areas. So I mention all this, Jameen, because I think by the end of the weekend, they're going to be fairly convinced that, holy cow, we need this guy. I don't know how long. Maybe it's a one-year deal. I don't know. But we probably need to hold on to this guy because as an entire organization, we are going to get so much better. And then you throw in the plus, which is Pato Award's amazing. This kid is, he's Elio from Mexico, right? I mean, he's just his personality, big and bubbly and all the, again, amazing. If we're talking sponsors, uh, who would Aaron McLaren SP sponsors really love to have doing ads for their product, doing whatever promos, talking to whomever, 
going to the corporate retreat, talking to the CEO, meeting with this, going to the production floor, so on and so forth. Elio frickin' Castro Nevis. Dancing, Mr. Dancing with the Stars, Mr. Three-Time Indy 500 winner, Mr. Energizer Bunny, Mr. Charm the Pants Off of Everyone. Can and will Pato do that? I mean, he already had, brings some of that, but will he be able to do that in the future? 100%. Can Elio Castro Nevis do that right now? You bet. There's a couple, couple layers to what he brings that I think is going to be very hard for the team to ignore. Um, I got to work with Elio in 1999. Uh, you guys may know this. You may be tired of hearing. Got to work with him in 99 at the last non-Penske IndyCar team he's driven for, Hogan Racing. So having seen him back then as an IndyCar sophomore, he was already that spark plug who was really, really helpful to the team and played a bigger role than just simply turning the steering wheel and stomping on the pedals. All these years later, it's just hard to see how the wise heads within the team do not realize that, hey, Oliver Askew might be a future champion. Who knows? Maybe. Um He's said some things that have seriously stressed the relationship that might end it. And if we've got to look for a replacement, maybe we spend a year, maybe we spend two pairing Pato with a ultra veteran, proven Indy 500 performer, but also someone who's going to uplift the entire organization. And then maybe we consider a younger driver after that. Uh, it'd just be very surprising if anything other than that happened. And so I mention all this yet again because we come back to Ryan Hunter Ray. We don't know how or where things are going to end up. We hope that Andretti finds the sponsorship. Hope that he gets signed to another deal. Everything is awesome and he stays. If that were to not happen, there would be one primary destination for him that has the money to hire a high-caliber driver of his ilk, and that is Aero McLaren SP. And timing-wise, this could be a thing that, depending on how things go at the Harvest Grand Prix, depending on how Oliver's health restoration goes, whether he'd be ready for St. Pete, whether the team would want to have him back in, even if there's a clause saying that they must. It's usually some form of out. Um, we've seen with Zach Veach, unfortunately, that you know contracts are only worth the paper they're written on sometimes could be a case where if things do not pan out at Andretti Autosport and Ron Hunter Ray is out of work there, that the number one destination, maybe the only top-tier destination he would have wanted to go to, might have already signed uh, someone to fill that second seat. And who knows, they've mentioned an interest in going to a third car, part-time, something like that. Just none of the things that Ryan would be wanting. So these are the couple of things I'm thinking about. I have heard that, I think you might have read in Robin's story that the Andretti team inquired if Santino Ferrucci uh, would want to take over Ryan's seat. Uh, have heard that he declined and wants to stay with Coin. So, yeah, uh, we will see. I think there's a question coming up here on um, Sergio Perez, so I'll save that here for uh, to answer that. Uh, let's see, where are we going next here on our little show? Let me see where we're at time-wise. All right, we're going to keep ripping and rocking here. 
Uh, Peter Nutt, our pal from Holland, if Will Power retires, can we please make him race steward and put a mic on him? Well, yeah, <laughs> I hope he never retires because the world would be less fun, Peter. But yes, I'm going to lobby young Mr. Power to be uh, in race control and just have a live open mic the entire time on the broadcast and just have the sensor person ready to hit the bleep button about 40 times per race. Because even if he's not penalizing people, he's just going to be chastising them the whole time. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Randy Worley. I had a, a sip of water before. Now I'm going for coffee. Randy says, I've been an IndyCar fan a long time. I know the drivers have their, air quote, tools in the car, weight jacker, etc. But what physically are those changing? Or as a weight jacker, are they compressing springs, physically sliding something, or something else entirely? Great question. Going to take another sip of water here. So we have a situation, Randy, with the weight jacker uh, being something that is used. This is really... Uh, an oval thing. Um, trying to think of times I've seen them used on a road or street course. I'm not saying they've never been used there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to think of when I can recall. I don't know. I'm just going to stick with ovals. These are items that uh, I believe they are mandated by IndyCar to be on the right rear suspension only. This weight jacker, it is hydraulically actuated. Uh, done by a button or buttons on the steering wheel and yes the weight jacker is a hydraulic ram that sits between the body of the shock and the right rear coilover spring and it extends out or retracts inward and with the extension of the weight jacker or the retraction of the weight jacker you are altering ride height at the right rear uh, you're effectively taking weight and moving it onto diagonally onto or away from the left front corner so this is a tool that wasn't too long ago but back in the day a weight jacker was actually a knob that you would screw or screw back out and this is extent pushing a ram outwards uh, that is, you said physically sliding. Yes, it is physically sliding the spring either away from the body, which is pushing down on the right rear suspension, therefore lifting it up, or retracting, sliding back towards the body of the shock as it's bolted to the bell housing. And that is allowing the right rear suspension to move upward, lower itself, lower the right rear of the car, and so, yes, as you extend the weight jacker, as you extend that hydraulic ram on the right rear, push it outward, push the spring outward, you are indeed adding weight that runs di diagonally. I was about to say dynamically. Don't know why. Diagonally from the right rear to the left front corner. That adds weight to the front of the car, which would help with stability. Or if you want to take away the sharpness of the turn in you would indeed retract and take weight off the left front of the car so yeah it is an actual hydraulic ram doing physical movement of stuff so pretty cool uh let's see 
JJ Gertler. Hey, JJ. Marshall, putting on your team manager hat. Oh, boy. Uh, when you have a driver who's a lame duck and will be driving for someone else next year, what kind of information do you stop sharing? And how do you balance that with still trying to win races? Huh. Well, it's a good general question. It's also something that deserves a little bit of uh, maybe a follow-up, and that is we're talking lame duck as in we're getting rid of you and we don't think you're going to be driving for anybody else. Well, um, yeah, you might not go super hardcore in walling them off from information. If you have very talented driver who says I'm leaving at the end of the year and going to another team while the season is ongoing, that tends to be the place where that lame duck is walled off pretty heavily would even say you have a bit of an odd situation last year where Connor Daly was doing some oval races for Carlin or I'm trying to remember the timing of that. No, I think the timing is off on that, but regardless the Andretti team who's driving for it, Indy really would not let him in on full board discussions and they would keep him out prior to the event Uh, even though he was trying to listen in on the timing stand during sessions and to gain whatever knowledge, uh, they would keep him out. Know that there was concern, not concern that he would act improperly, but you just don't want to give yourself, you don't want to expose yourself in any way, no matter who the driver happens to be, that they might sit in on something and who knows, who knows who he'd be driving for at some other races during the year. Um, But usually when you have the talented driver who's going to be going elsewhere, what you end up getting is at some point in time, maybe a little bit later in the year, once that information comes out, it's not uncommon to get disinvited from the group debriefs. Unless, of course, we're talking about a driver on a one-car team. But this is certainly a scenario where protecting information, um, because towards the end of the year, it's not uncommon for teams who have some R&D things in mind to try them out. Um These are things where that driver might not get those development dampers that the team was thinking about or whatever else they might be uh, trying to get a bit of a read on before they go into the offseason and really go farther down that development path. Then it's also just, you know, set up information. You can, each team handles things differently. Some drivers want to know everything, keep that information, and it's allowed. Other teams, you can ask, you know, the driver what, toe settings did you run and qualifying and they'd be like qualifying they don't tell me any of that you know all i can tell them is i think i need a little more a little less they're not giving me any real numbers back again it all depends on the team but for those that might be a little bit more open normally with setup information and whatnot um normally in a lame duck scenario jj you're going to have that driver getting walled off once you find out that they're leaving because you don't want them to leave with the stuff that you think is going to uh, make you strong and potentially them stronger at another home. Um, and there you go. Uh, Tim Glass says this is a repost from a while back. F1 reporter Joe Sayward suggested uh, during the whole Penske might buy Mercedes F1 nonsense that John Menard and Tony George uh, were investors in his purchase of IMS in the series. Have you heard that from anyone else? I've heard the rumor, Tim. Uh, I don't mean for this to be a cop-out it might be there's a thing about not living in indianapolis that i think is well i know it's both positive and a negative uh i don't always hear everything first 
uh, certainly my man Robin Miller hears a lot of things first because he'll be grabbing lunch at wherever and he'll bump into a mechanic from whatever team and, you know, information exchange. And all of a sudden, Robin's got a great story about how team so-and-so is running such-and-such the next race. I'm also happy that things like IMS and this ongoing soap opera of family who owns what, who did what, who got caught doing this to the other person when they shouldn't have, and who ran this off the road while their blood level it was at so-and-so. I'm glad that I'm not really plugged into that stuff because I know that I hear from many folks in Indianapolis that there's just, you know, and I'm using generalisms. I'm not saying any of those things actually happened within the family, but you know, there's just this whole subset of, who owns what, who bought what, how much were they selling it for? Who's an investor who tried to buy, who didn't try to buy Like, I got to admit, I don't know the answer to your question. I've heard the same rumors, but not being in Indianapolis, it means that I'm really just not in the given a fart category and all this stuff. While some others really do uh, stay connected to this. And it's a constant theme of news and intrigue. Just not for me. Uh, let's go to hire Lee says Marshall uh, Motorsports CEO Silly Season is now officially underway with Chase Carey and his mustache out at uh, F1. Where will he land? Could Roger Penske convince him to take a seat at IndyCar? Would he be interested in going uh, to Formula E or Jean Top planning something like that? What he did with Michael Schumacher by forcing him into retirement only for him to go rise like a phoenix and make a comeback? This is, I know, I've probably taken the beautiful mind thing too far. Um, and all seriousness, though, Chase Carey led F1 through a lot of changes, major rebrand, creating the now recognizable logo and font. He shaped the way F1 approached social media and attracted younger audiences of all types. He negotiated the new Concord Agreement uh, and the 2022 regulations. And this is good stuff, by the way. Hi, I really appreciate you sending this stuff in. It's not IndyCar directly, but it's a lot of lateral stuff. So it's IndyCar needing a major rebrand needing younger fans while bringing in a new engine formula, a new chassis. This guy is qualified and should be considered. Um, since in my opinion, IndyCar's top brass is stuck in the past. So his carry could be the birth of fresh air IndyCar needs while not alienating the current fans, uh, which he says old white dudes. Um, <laughs> well, all right. So good stuff here. Higher. Um, we need to acknowledge one really big gigantic difference between Chase Carey, head of Liberty Media Group, uh, their new acquisition of Formula One, and Chase Carey, no longer the day-to-day guy in charge there. I forget what I read that he's doing. I think he does have something else lined up that's vaguely F1 related, but uh, I could be wrong. Um, trillions of dollars. That's the big difference here. And many of the things you mentioned are managerial Achievements, those are all very, very good. No doubt, not belittling or downplaying any of it. But when we're talking about a guy who rebranded this and shaped that and did a lot of things, this is coming from a place of obscene wealth brought by Liberty Media. Now, I'm not saying that they just spend foolishly, but I am saying that it's one thing to run an organization where you are so overly flush with cash that... Honestly, man, it's kind of hard not to just win, 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 win constantly and do great stuff because 
you don't have to make any concessions. You don't have to start with, oh, well, what is the budget first? And then see if you can pull off a half-assed version of the thing you had in mind. This is a very different management exercise. So you might say, well, but doesn't Roger Penske have billions? Yes, he does. Roger Penske has billions. That doesn't mean that IndyCar has billions. We know that they are in the midst of a brutal uh, cutback on everything financially. So do I think that Chase Carey could bring some really strong things to IndyCar if they were to invite him and or if he were to accept or have an interest? I genuinely do. I do not know, though, if he would have as easy of a time knowing that in terms of the dollars and cents available to him, I think he's still a Liberty employee, um, so he might have to leave a job there to do this. But I can tell you, man, the times, the very few times in my life where I have had ample amounts of money in running a team, in building a team, in making a lot of changes, boy, uh, you get a lot of recognition and credit for doing big things and good things. And the thing that made it possible, of course, you got to be okay at your job, but having the budget and a serious budget to do it kind of makes all problems go away. And when you don't, you don't put up as many wins, man, because you do not have that golden path to follow to make those things happen. So it's a lot of ifs. I would say that, yeah, Chase Carey does fascinate me a bit in terms of what he might be able to do uh, with another racing series. IndyCar, I think, would benefit from him uh, for sure. I don't know if I'd say that, you know, IndyCar's current brass is stuck in the past. I do know that Chase, though, would be coming from a place where he has been at the cutting edge in this sport for a couple of years now and appears to have done some very good things. So he would certainly be additive. Curious, though, how much he'd be able to do without that proverbial blank check. Uh, he also says thanks um, for the text of, uh, for I don't even know. I can't understand the thing that you closed with here, not because you wrote it poorly, but because my brain is not processing. And, yes, this is my unpolished turd. I'm going to leave that in. Uh, Daniel Summerskill. Hey, it's almost like he just asked a question. Resubmission. Do you think that Sergio Perez could make the transition to IndyCar now that he has been replaced by Sebastian Vettel at Aston Martin in F1? Says hashtag me personally. He would fit in well at Aaron McLaren SP with Pato and bring investment to the team. Yes, yes, and yes. Do I think he could? Yes. Could's always a word where you go, well, sure, and he could decide to uh, get his face tattooed uh, in an homage to My Little Pony. So, could's a wonderful word. I would say that he strikes me as the kind of guy who at his age, having done as much Formula One as he has done, and done it at a incredibly high level for so long, that the desperation to keep racing thing, which tends to come from either a younger driver or a much older driver. You either have the, damn you, I will not be stopped, or you have the, damn it, I don't want to stop yet, and I'll prove you wrong that I'm still good. Those are the two areas where you tend to get a driver saying, yeah, well, then I'm going to go over here, and I'll show you. 
I don't see Sergio in that mode. He strikes me as a guy who could say, well, really? All right, cool. Uh, this is where I want to race. I've ha- I'm sure he's had opportunities to go elsewhere if he's wanted, but hasn't. Could he end up in IndyCar? There's always a possibility. Could he be the guy to uh, race alongside Pato, as you mentioned? I would imagine he could. Uh, I'd love to see it. I just don't know if I feel that vibe from him of, well, if I can't be an F1, then I've got to find something else to race full-time. I don't know. Maybe he has provided this answer and I've missed it. I don't know if he's in the, no, I don't want to go to IndyCar because of ovals thing that we hear a number of IndyCar, uh, of Formula One drivers say. So that's another question, but could he? Yes. Do I think he wants to? Not really. Would it be awesome if he was paired uh, with his young countrymen? I would say absolutely. Uh, I'd say that would do huge, you know, I think that would do really good things for IndyCar in courting more of a Spanish-speaking audience than we currently have. All right, we're getting down to the uh, the home stretch here. Daniel Ingleton says, due to the lack of Indy lights this year, do you think this will give the current crop of drivers a higher chance of not being replaced? Or will teams spend more time considering options from F1 or sports car championships? Hmm, well... Let's take a quick look and try and run through a list of who we think team-wise would be looking for people to hire. So, okay, where do we go? We start with AJ Foyt Racing. Uh, Other than hiring Sebastian Bourdais, I do not know of any initiative to hire a second driver, a funded second driver for sure, uh, is who would be in the car alongside Sebastian. Andretti Autosport, I do not know of any efforts in place to hire anybody, all based on those drivers bringing sponsorship or the team finding sponsorship to keep one of their one or more of their drivers. Of course, Ryan Hunter Ray is paid to drive, so there's that. But I'm talking about your question of is the team going out actively looking for someone to hire? I am completely unaware of that being a thing. Uh, let's see. Arrow McLaren SP. There's that second seat. Now a question. Spoken about it uh, plenty here in the show already. That's could be the one and only team with a single seat uh, looking to fill that they would pay someone to occupy. Carlin said they want to go to two cars next year go back to two cars said that they expect max chilton to be in for the road courses again in his number 59 chevy everything else involved for the road courses in max's car and also uh, that second car would all be a paying thing driver paying not the team paying them chip ganassi racing chip is a little non-committal in terms of what the team would look like next year know that felix rosenquist needs Another contract, his two-year contract is up. Uh, I think he will have a solid close to the year and will get signed to continue. Would be very surprised if that doesn't happen. I don't know a thing about Marcus Erickson in terms of contract length, but he brings a budget to make that happen. So, again, team is not going out actively looking for anyone to hire. 
the Dale Coin Racing with Team Go, that being Alex Pelot, that is a paid seat. Uh, the Team Go side and Dale putting in some money of his own. Alex brings no money, so um, nothing there. That would be the team receiving money. Uh, the Dale Coin Racing with Vassar Sullivan. The Vassar Sullivan side brings some budget. Santino brings some budget. And Dale brings the rest. So uh, you could try and position it that Santino is a paid driver, but from what I understand, no. As we mentioned on the show before, have heard for a while that he brings $2 million. I've heard he was asked to bring considerably more than that to Andretti, which was outside of budget capabilities. So, uh, again, I am unaware of Dale Coyne and Mr. Go, Mr. Vassar, Mr. Sullivan actually going out with money in hand trying to hire anybody. believe yet again we will have both entries filled with people bringing money to the team. Uh, I'm just sticking with full-timers here. Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing. We know that Ed and Connor have split the 20. We know that Connor is someone that could certainly be uh, Andretti-bound, knowing that the team would love to have his Air Force sponsorship. Not saying it's going to happen at all, just uh, there's interest there. What would that mean for Carpenter? Well, uh, they have having to subsidize um, some of Renus's season for sure, but I don't know if you would call that paying a driver. Renus brings money uh, from his body of sponsors, so that's not exactly the team going out looking to pay anybody, nor are they going out and paying Connor. So I am unaware of Ed Carpenter Racing actually um, calling people with cash in hand, trying to get them to come drive. Uh, the Meyer Shank Racing Team, bit of an interesting dynamic. They bring some sponsorship. Jack brings some sponsorship. I'm sure that he is paid. I know he is paid to drive. I would not paint that as a traditional, we have all the funding and went out and hired somebody. It's kind of a, you are putting our peanut butter in your chocolate kind of thing. Uh, Reese's Pieces type scenario. And so that's what they have there. Uh, the Ray Hall Edelman Lanigan team. I know that they would love to have a third, but. Uh, Graham and the team do an amazing job of finding funding for his entry. Takuma Sato brings funding uh, for his entry. I know that both of those drivers are paid by the team for sure, but again, a little bit of a familiar dynamic of a driver, if not both drivers, having sponsors that come with them. And then you have Team Penske. And I don't know how you would characterize Scott McLaughlin becoming their fourth full-time driver next year. He's already, an, a, uh, I was about to say Andretti employee, that's funny, uh, a Penske employee. And the team has to find the budget to run that car. But I am unaware of the team actively going out and trying to hire anybody uh, to drive for them. So just running through that hopefully quick little thing here, uh, Daniel, I would say that we're talking Errol McLaren SP second seat, provided Oliver Askew isn't back, provided Elio Castroneves isn't hired, provided Sergio Perez doesn't end up there, provided Ryan Hunter Ray doesn't end up there. So uh, I don't know why I say didn't end up there, but that's the one seat that I know of where there's a budget behind it to hire somebody. For all the other teams I mentioned, 
who have a vacancy or multiple vacancies all require drivers bringing money and or the team finding a budget to keep them. So not exactly a super shiny opportunity for a lot of young drivers to do much uh, or from F1 or sports car to do much of anything, Daniel. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Joey of the Priuses. Says, I've got two questions this week. All right there, Mr. Wolfgang Monser. Uh, while looking at the Le Mans result, I wondered if some of the faster amateur drivers would be able to pay their way into an IndyCar seat. Would the likes of Ben Keating be approved, or would uh, driver ratings keep them out? Well, IndyCar has no driver ratings like Ben is accustomed to in sports cars. We do know that IndyCar implemented a guideline of experience and aptitude to try and keep anyone from showing up and driving. Is that similar to driver ratings? I wouldn't say so. I know that they outlined something that sure looked like it, but there have been some folks approved who, you know, weren't bad, certainly weren't great. Their money was the most valuable contribution to the team for one or two or three or however many races. Uh, Rene Binder comes to mind with uh, Hunkos Racing, for example. I mean, you know, the guy, nice enough kid, capable in sporty cars, just really didn't belong in an open-wheel car, but kept Hunkos Racing ticking along. And if that's the best thing that the Rene Binder experience brought, then I'm okay with that as long as he didn't ruin other people's races. Could a Ben Keating or similar try? I think so. I do think that there would be a pretty harsh approach to minimum speed, though. In terms of qualifying speed, must be within a certain percentage of the pole winning time. I think for some of the lesser experienced and or more amateur-based drivers, unlike decades ago in IndyCar, where, I mean, it seemed like anybody could get approved i think there would certainly be a harsher approach taken here joey that might filter out a ben keating now his teammate jaron bleakamolen i mean let's get jaron in there i'd love to see that that'd be all kinds of fun uh your second question thinking about rookie of the year battle next year right now the only contender is jimmy johnson and i haven't heard much about anyone else joining other than maybe sergio perez could we have any surprising new additions to the indycar grid next year also says I'm stupid and forgot about Scott McLaughlin as well. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to be talking about a three-time uh, Australian Supercars champ going up against a seven-time NASCAR Cup champ, assuming Jimmy finds all the budget to be able to run with a Ganassi team. So it's a great point I hadn't pondered yet, Joey, which is with Indy Lights being delayed until next year, with many of the front-running drivers we expected to see in contention for moving up, uh, at least one of them with that million-dollar advancement prize may be the person in second or third, who knows, uh, following along. Uh, that's a great question. How thin is next year's rookie grid going to be? I mean, let's talk about Santi Arusha, right, who coming back to Indy Lights was, you know, Come hell or high water, make or break, all those things. This is going to be it. He's going to do it. Uh, running with the HMD Motorsports team, and we're go okay. Now we're running 
uh, SCCA F, is it three F three? I think, uh, running over there F four. I don't know. Uh, I think F three, but just sideways kind of out of nowhere. I shouldn't say out of nowhere, but I mean, those cars are by no means comparable to Indy lights. Uh, if Santi had run very, very well in lights, finished second, won the thing, which is certainly a possibility. I think there would be IndyCar teams absolutely talking about him, and that could be an option. With him running outside of the road to Indy, I'll be super honest with you. I have not heard a single team owner, team manager, driver, engineer, mechanic, all season long, mention his name. Not once. And that's abnormal, because normally they would, because would have done things within their view that would have triggered interest. So just using him as an example, but unless Santi somehow shows up with three, four or $5 million to play an Indy car, he's a guy who based on road to Indy experience should be an Indy car. No, no doubt. End of question. Done deal. This weird COVID year, no Indy lights, no chance for him and others to showcase Kyle Kirkwood. Kyle Kirkwood should be on the way to an Indy lights championship getting that million bucks and negotiating with teams to drive for them. I don't know if any IndyCar team is aware that Kyle Kirkwood still drives motor racing vehicles, which he does and has done some in IMSA, but we just haven't seen much of him. Um, Daniel Frost is another one and we could name more and more and more Robert McGinnis. Where's he going? What's he going to do? And, you know, whether these are all future IndyCar champions or not, we should have a pretty strong crop of rookies to be pondering, Joey, where they will end up next year in IndyCar. Uh, could we have, I don't know, maybe one of them will from one of the various series they've been running in, even stepping down into Indy Pro 2000, but this might be the lowest transfer year from junior open wheel racing to IndyCar that we have seen in just about forever uh so there you go let's go to Takate renard it says i was watching a kart race over the weekend and there was a mention of neil mickelwright i realized i hadn't heard his name in a while and then you also ask is he still involved in the sport well Takate renard i'm told that neil retired and is enjoying life with his family grandkids and so on in Michigan. So is that something that I had tucked away? No, actually I had to get that little bit of intel from a friend who once had Neil as his team manager. Uh, let's see. All right. We're, uh, we're actually down to what Tim has listed as our final question. Realize that there are a number of questions, uh, below the line. So let me get to the last official question. And then I'm going to see how many I can rattle through in a very short amount of time. So let's go. I'm going to close the show. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. With Kyle Ray. says, MP, we know the history of Robin, Miller, and AJ. With Miller pissing him off to the point of wanting to do physical harm and not speaking to each other for years. Do you have your own driver, team owner with a similar story? Uh, Wanting to pop your head off, then eventually becoming buds. Oh, well, that's a good one. I don't know the answer to all that because I'm sure there are some that are still pissed at me. But since we're, I'm on the 
year-long social distancing plan, um, I might get some smacks upside the head next year. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of the you dirty SOB type things that I've had that I haven't mentioned before. I mean, there have been a couple drivers. I know they've mentioned it once or twice. I might have in various interviews where we haven't spoken for a long time. Um, I know Tony Kanon and I went quite some time uh, without speaking after an incident in 2015. Uh, Simon Pagino as well. Dario Franchitti. You getting the the vibe here of very passionate people and myself, maybe uh, bumping heads a little bit, but uh, would say we're all good and have been for quite some time. So that's that on the team owner side. Uh, let's see. Larry Foyt uh, wouldn't take my call for quite some time, and I think we cleared that up, but he thought I was being unfairly mean to them. I didn't, but again, that's where disagreements happen. Um, I'd say the most most one (laughs) i'd say the one that stands out the most which i've mentioned on the podcast before might have even read his letter was tony george back in 2009 i think i don't know if it was 2010 maybe 2009 i wrote my season preview i referred to his stepson ed carpenter driving for vision racing as oval only ed I wrote some things that were certainly non-complimentary of Ed's road racing skills. I can deduce from Tony's email that he sent me that he thought I took things too far. Will freely admit I haven't read it in since it went up more than a decade ago. It's entirely possible I went too far and said too many uncomplimentary things about Ed. But the email that I got from Tony is an all-time Hall of Famer going into my autobiography, which I'll never write. But, uh, oh, he just dressed me down in every possible way, uh, belittled everything that I did, the new profession that I was in, uh, called me a jerk, asked if my mother knew I was a jerk, all without knowing that... uh, she was believed to be dead at the time, which kind of made things like, wow, okay, you're really, you're, boy, you're, you're one to convey a, a very specific message here, Tony. Um, and, yeah, so I got to admit, that was, it's still at the highest level. Uh, it is just awesome. And I'm going to hold on to that forever. Now, we have shared a table on one occasion since then, and it was purely by mistake, and it was very awkward. Uh, so that was about 2009. I'm trying to think of the year. It might have been 2012, 2013. I don't remember exactly. I do know that we have a situation where Mike Hull, I believe, invited me to lunch at Texas. Uh, whatever it was, it was one of those, you know, they're late Friday. They don't let you in the track until noon or one o'clock or whatever it was on Saturday. Cause the race is at night. So they genuinely just bar you from getting into the garages and such. So he just shot me and I was like, Hey, uh, if you want to grab some lunch, we're going to this, uh, Mexican place that we absolutely love. And, uh, you know, hopefully see you there. I'm like, great. 
show up, and it's not just Mike, but it's his wife, Melinda. That's great. And there's Tony George. And then there's a few more. And then it's this member of the George Holman George family and that member of the Holman George family. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there kind of staring at Tony from across the table. I know he knows who I am because when you send someone an email like that, which is so like, I do not give a F on any level. Like you kind of got to know the person you're writing it to. So, Oh yeah. Uh, not only did he, uh, not only did he not say any words to me, I don't know if he ever actually looked at me. And it was just kind of fun or funny. Uh, so Mike, being just a very kind host, said, hey, yo, hey, I got there. I happened to be, I got there a little bit late. Everyone was seated, found him in the back, sat down, and Mike did the very nice, oh, hey, well, Marshall, you know Tony George, don't you? And you know this, and you know that person. And it was just one of those funny things where Tony didn't really want to acknowledge that I was alive on the planet Earth. So there's that. Uh, what else can I tell you? Just from the... I've shared this a few times of late. It's not said in any kind of negative way. It's just fully accepted. In the role of a reporter, uh, since this isn't all kind of glam stuff that we do, you're always going to be hated by some folks. It's just part of the job. So I've had really nasty phone call from Paul Genalozzi. I took that with great pride, knowing that I had yet to be, or I was kind of on the outside looking in um, for that. So that was a really big, really big thing uh, to get this nasty, nasty thing from him and push back really hard. And that was kind of fun. Um, what else can I share? Uh, Gerard Nouveau, soon to be the outgoing CEO of the FIA World Endurance Championship. Oh, we had some words earlier this year. And uh, let's just say that he betrayed good faith and confidence and acted in a way that it's awesome that he and I were not in the same space because we would have had a various, very serious interpersonal problem, not professional to professional problem, but on some man level stuff. So, and he's bigger than I am. So, you know, he's a tall guy, uh, you know, uh, decent frame, but I'm pretty confident I could handle myself. I don't get a lot of other people, uh, to be honest here, Kyle, who just straight up come up to me and say, you freaking bleeping so-and-so i don't know why uh maybe it's because they just think i'm an idiot and say there's no reason to because this jackass is not gonna know how to make sense of what i say i know i'm all while i'm a fat bastard even without the fat i'm not exactly a small framed person uh and i'm not weak so i don't know could it be that folks don't want to tussle i don't know um, I'm not saying I'd win in any of those tussles. I'm just saying I'm not exactly some scrawny dude to pick on. So is that some of it? I don't know what I haven't had the smack or punch yet. And I hope to go my entire career without it. I can tell you that there have been situations where when I was working for teams, there've been some fisticuffs and some not pleasantness. So 
there's that. But the kind of high level in the team owner or driver clocked Pruitt in the head thing, been fortunate to avoid that. What I usually get, Kyle, is the sad guy won't answer the phone, guy just wants to be grumpy and, you know, doesn't want to talk or whatever. And you're going to go, okay, I mean, whatever suits you, you do that thing. Because whatever you believe to be the best approach to living your life, you do that. And I'm going to do what I believe is best and eh, say lovey. All right, uh, let's see. Going to go to overtime here. I need a name, please. What other schedule changes should we expect for 2021? Presumably, code is still a big question mark. That is true. Haven't seen anything confirmed regarding Richmond. I know I said earlier I thought it would be back. Uh, since we've been recording, I've read something else that leads me to believe that might not be the case. Uh, what else can I share here? Um, Iowa, haven't heard anything there. I mean, by the time this gets posted, we may already have, that being Racer, a uh, schedule story that's out. Certainly by the time you're listening to this, which is an hour and a half or so in, it'll de- it should definitely be live. Um, president of social media. Thank you for writing in yet again. Hope you and your wife are doing well. Besides Nashville, are there any plans to add another new track uh, for the 21 schedule? Again, the only rumor I've heard is could there be a Daytona Roval type thing? I would put that low odds, but just sharing a thing I've heard a couple times. Not saying it's credible, just sharing what I've heard. Um, Otto, no better, asks, can you remind us why Milwaukee is not on the schedule? It's one of the raciest ovals in a place with a history of strong fan support. Well, all agreed, except for the last part of that history had minimal fan support. And so the attempt by, I believe it was Andretti Promotions, Savory Green Promotions, whatever it was called, however many years ago, uh, their last attempt or two to hold a race there was a financial loser, and there were not many fans that showed up, I believe, that it was a case of there were some other big things in town that folks often went to or go to uh, happening at the same time as that last Milwaukee race or two. So that could have certainly conspired against a big crowd. But the reason IndyCar no longer goes there, there's no promoter for it. And the last time or two it happened, it was a financial loser. Uh, Let's see, regular casual guy. Are there any tracks that were on this year's initial schedule that won't be on next year's schedule due to losses? We'll just kind of go back to the well here and say Coda, possibly Richmond uh, as well. Uh, Alexander LaRoque. Hey, Alexander, I don't know if I've uh, seen a question from you before. So if this is your first time, thank you. Uh, Monsieur LaRoque, if I didn't just kill your last name with my bad French that I took in high school. Relatively new to the podcast, first time writing in. See, I should read some of your question before asking questions. Is there a chance IndyCar hosts more races north of the border? I do vaguely remember IndyCar racing in Montreal, and I think it's a great circuit that needs more than one per year. I believe you'd be referring to Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Uh, Nothing that I've heard there. Obviously, IndyCar under the Champ Car banner late in its final existence went to Mont-Tremblant. Uh, there have been rumors, possibly, of a Calgary event being, street race being put on with Aero McLaren SP co-owner Rick Peterson among the promoter group. I've heard nothing 
on that still happening. I haven't heard anything, Alexandra, of there being true second Canadian round, third Canadian round happening. I, boy, I really hope we do. Because at least for the time that I grew up in the sport, it was common to go north of the border many, many times. And if it, even if it was only one IndyCar race or two IndyCar races, still go north more times for Atlantic races or Indy Lights or you name it. There was just a strong North American open wheel, top tier, middle tier, lower tier, whatever. There was just a strong presence of, hey, we go north a lot. And I, I'm genuinely saddened and have been for quite some time that that tradition not only is faded, but it's almost uh, possibly gone. Uh, Peter, not again. How about the Ferrari catfishing attempt? Any news, MP? No, no news on Ferrari becoming an engine builder. I think I might have mentioned this last week or the week before. I had heard that through some grapevines and meetings and whatnot, things said at Le Mans by Ferrari's leadership that uh, really if they're looking to do anything new, it would be in the new Le Mans hypercar level, not IndyCar level. Uh, Okay, Cody, DW12, says, I asked a question last week, and it kind of got misconstrued. Do you think it would be smart going forward to continue pairing races on the IMS road course with other series? Hashtag me personally. I can't see a downside. As always, best of wishes to you and your wife. I would say absolutely, Cody. Just a question of what and where. Do I expect the IndyCar road course, NASCAR Xfinity road course thing to continue? Yes. Do I think that having Road to Indy as part of uh, whatever IndyCar IMS road course racing needs to be a thing as well instead of them just running on their own, which they've done sometimes this year to make up races? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I think it absolutely needs to be the case. Would I absolutely love to see things expand a little bit so that some of IMSA's Kind of training categories, second, third tier categories might be roped in to whatever, whether it's the Harvest Grand Prix, Indy Grand Prix, GMR Grand Prix, uh, whatever with NASCAR Grand Prix. Yes, I think variety and fun needs to be the underlying approach. Since we're making this stuff up, um, let's do something. Randy Worley. Uh, what happened with the original Hinch and Andretti split? For some reason, I thought there was a little bit of bad blood and no idea why, though. Did I make that up? I was pleasantly surprised to see them reunited this year. Yeah, I don't know if things went down as happily to end that relationship as either side wanted. As I recall, and I'm sorry, I should probably be doing all kinds of research, but doing my best here, I believe it was just simply a case of sponsorship Uh, ran out and that was the thing that ended the relationship but i it feels like randy i'm forgetting something key that wasn't super bueno so i think you're right i know that i'm not helping here with all the information you're seeking and maybe the next time i speak to someone who does remember i will remember and chuck it into the show 
Carlos Villalobos, you've asked one that's kind of in the already discussed uh, Zach Veach vein. Uh, so thank you for sending it in, brother. I think I just covered that off uh, in a previous question. Um, Christoph Wozniak says, Your dear friend Robin Miller wrote that a certain Dale Coyne racing driver might head to Ryan Hunter Ray's 28 car. How possible is that? And if it happens, where might its current driver land? Uh, reading this, knowing that we already covered a lot of that off, but there's only two to go, so there you go. Um, I wanted to read this one just because I've heard... I don't know if it's accurate. I don't really communicate with a guy anymore for anything extracurricular. Um, I've heard that Santino's father, who's been the one coming up with the money for him to continue to race at Dale Coyne Racing, you know, I've heard that there's a little bit of a finite window to that, meaning going to keep doing my best to find money so you can keep doing this, but there's going to come a point very soon where you're going to need to convert yourself into a paid driver because I can't keep finding a couple million bucks a year to do this. Uh, it's not just that well's going to run dry eventually. So from what I understand of what's needed for the 28 car, uh, which is almost a full season budget, uh, that would A, be above the spending limit, and B, I think, just would double violate that basic tenet of, like so many fathers do, Right? There's nothing specific to Santino about this, and there's nothing critical about this. Many fathers, many mothers have invested in their sons' or daughters' sporting careers and said, hey, we're willing to get behind you, and we'll help you get off the ground, and we'll even get you up and running and get you there. And we'll do that for a limited amount of time. But if you haven't made it on your own wholly and independently by whatever that date in the future is one year, two, three, four from now, uh, we're not going to sell our house and drain our savings and, uh, you know, put ourselves on the street just to keep your dream alive. We're going to help you do everything possible to achieve your dream, but you got to take over and be the one in command at some point. And that's both financially, that's in all capacities. You're going to have to take over at some point here before we get to financial critical level. And I think going to Andretti and the cost to do that would certainly qualify for what they can afford, have been able to afford as a bridge too far. And I also think, you know, Santino, he intrigues people. There's a lot of potential there. If he can have a really good close to the season, and I think another good season, stronger season with Coin, and keep in mind where he is right now in the championship, right? I mean, this is something we cannot truly ignore. I mean, the guy's sitting 10th in the standings right now. I know he didn't make a lot of friends at Mid-Ohio. I know he had a, a bad overall Mid-Ohio. He certainly would have been inside the top 10, remained inside the top 10, um, without that, but this is a guy who's intriguing, certainly runs stronger on ovals than anywhere else, but if he can have a solid close to the year and have an even stronger 2021, do I think he could be someone that maybe a team or two would want to hire? Potentially. But, yeah. So, there's that. Uh, 
I know that he's not the most savory person. We're not in the savory person business, by and large. Uh, there are some team owners, far less savory than Santino Ferrucci. So if the kid can prove he has the talent to go quickly, earn quality results, positively represent the team, make sponsors happy, bring in more sponsors, yada, 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 the kid's going to have a long IndyCar career. Would just say that while getting into Ryan Hunter Ray's car right now doesn't sound like that's a possibility. Um, I'd say this time next year, Santino really needs to be in a place. It sounds like he really needs to be in a place where we're talking about, aha, team A is trying to put him on the books and team B is trying to put him on the books. And this kid's, uh, this kid is seriously, uh, finally going to become a paid race car driver in IndyCar. Final question. And uh, I love it. Dave Goodhue. Not sure if I've seen questions from you before. I love this one. I was trying to end on something a little bit humorous. It says, I know everyone calls top three the podium, but so often it's a sham as only the winner stands on something and is recognized. Do you think Roger Penske will ever mandate a post-race with the top three getting trophies and celebrating? Then says best you and your wife. Well, Dave, thank you for the final bit. Appreciate the kind note about my wife and I. I'm not sure what IndyCar you're watching, my friend. Other than the Indianapolis 500, where only the winner goes up onto the podium, every single race has a top three, and they stand on the podium, social distance this year, and they get trophies and they celebrate. So unless there were some words that didn't come through in the question... I might need to know what exactly you're talking about, Dave, because the thing you're saying, it's a sham. I have no idea what that means. Um, I can't think of a single IndyCar race, and I don't know how long, where there was not an actual podium, Indy 500 being the lone exception. So i just be honest, Dave. I have no idea what you're talking about, my man. I love that you sent in a question. I don't get it. But, hey, don't hesitate to send it in again with maybe a little more direction because if we're talking about IndyCar on the week in IndyCar, everything you wrote doesn't apply. So maybe I'm missing something, my man. Send it in, if so. And uh, there you go. That's the show for the week. Been trying to include a little bit of overtime here. Also been trying to tell you when I've gotten to the end of the questions that uh, Dear Tim picked for me. So if you want to stop listening, you can. Otherwise, we've been getting a ton of questions lately, and it hasn't slowed down. And it's been, I would say, awesome. Uh, No arguments, no complaints, all happiness. And I feel bad when I can't answer your questions. I try and get to as many as I can this week. Fortunate to have a little bit of extra time on my hands. So for part one, got to all of them. And then maybe tomorrow I'll get to part two. So I am Marshall Pruitt. This is your Marshall Pruitt podcast and your week in IndyCar guest. Not guest. It's the listener Q&A. I'm not even drunk. I have no excuses. I want to say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. And thanks to you for your great questions. Going to speak to our man Bourdais in the morning and then going to knock out part two of your Q&A. Then we're going to go practice and do stuff. And I think qualify on a Thursday race at an odd time 
on a Friday, then again on Saturday, and then we have eight hours of endurance racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. <sighs> it's a busy season, y'all. 